Hello friends, welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. Tonight we're going to be talking about heedfulness. And I like talking about heedfulness because it's not always a heart-mind quality that I like. <laughs> heedfulness is one of those Buddhist qualities that I think most of us have kind of a love-hate relationship with. So I thought we would take a chance uh, and talk about it because it is one of the qualities that the Buddha mentions that is necessary for being a good student on the path. And that's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks is the qualities that the Buddha mentions that are essentially the heart-mind qualities that he discovered within himself or had to enliven in himself as he was on his journey creating the path. So these are heart-mind qualities that essentially become the enlightenment factors. They become the factors of the path. But the Buddha describes them as heart-mind qualities that are necessary for all spiritual seekers if they're going to take up the Eightfold Path as part of practice. So I kind of like it because it's a like a prereq or something. It's like you go to college and you're like, Buddhism 101. First, we'll talk about heedfulness. So heedfulness is one of those heart-mind qualities. And uh, so we'll talk about that today. If you haven't uh, tuned in or if you haven't been here for the last three weeks, then there's at least two podcasts there on the other qualities. We talked about truthfulness. We talked about the commitment to be observant, which is a really big one. And we talked about Samwega and Pasada, which was the last one, which is how we respond to Dukkha. And it's the response of feeling stress in the world. And instead of denying the stress and discontent of the world, being inspired to walk the path. So heedfulness is another of these types of qualities that allow us to walk the path successfully. One of the things I like about heedfulness, <laughs> as well as some of the other Buddhist words, is that heedfulness, you're going to find the word heedfulness all over the Pali Suttas. It's mentioned in a variety of different contexts. And like a bunch of other like Buddhist terminology, it's often described in like four different ways, and it's also often described by its opposite. <laughs> so I'm going to take a few minutes to try and <laughs> describe for you what heedfulness means in the Dharma. And, uh, and I'm going to describe it from some different points of view. And I think somewhere in between the points of view, you'll get the gist of it. So if we look at just Googling the term uh, heedfulness, heedfulness is defined as being attentive, being mindful, thoughtful, or careful, right? Being heedful. So being attentive and being mindful, that's kind of a basic definition. Now, of course, the Dharma definition is a little more complex. Oftentimes, when the Buddha talks about being heedful, it's talked about in contrast to its opposite. <laughs> so I'm going to do this in reverse, and then eventually we'll land on heedfulness. So let me start by saying, let's do a not-self of heedfulness. Let's, let me tell you what heedfulness is not. So the opposite of heedfulness which is often talked about, is complacency. Complacency. This is the opposite of heedfulness, complacency. And complacency has a really interesting set of definitions. And these are just standard stuff off uh, 
off Google and stuff like that. But I put them together so you could see what it means within the Dharma. So complacency has a couple different hues. Complacency means that you're happy with yourself or with your circumstances, but you're not concerned. You're not concerned or critical of the happiness. Another way of saying it is that you are uncritically satisfied with yourself or with your achievements. You're uncritically satisfied with yourself or with your achievements, which is kind of interesting. Another way of saying complacent is that it's self-satisfaction, but it's self-satisfaction that's accompanied by a lack of awareness of any dangers or discrepancies or deficiencies in the experience. That's complacency. And so I wrote those three definitions out to highlight two parts. One, it's a form of contentment, not the highest contentment, of course, but it's a sense of contentment, but it's a sense of contentment where you're not mindful, right? You're not critical of it. You're not curious about it. And you're essentially sort of have a blind spot about it, right? It's a sort of smugness like, oh yeah, things are great. I don't have a care in the world. It's a non-caring, non-critically oriented sense of satisfaction, complacency. Heedfulness is the opposite of that. So I'll go into heedfulness. So complacency is sort of a false happiness, right? It's a happiness that might do harm to yourself or others because you're not interested in exploring it or being curious about it. So it has some delusion to it. Complacency has some ignorance built into it. And so if that is the opposite of heedfulness, heedfulness is a commitment to not being satisfied with your happiness or your achievements on the path. Let me explain what that means because it sounds a little weird. So if complacency is being content with something and not exploring it, heedfulness is a continuous commitment to explore your experience on the path with mindfulness and investigation. It's not just having an experience in the Dharma and just being like, yeah, that's okay. I'll just have that experience. Heedfulness is this commitment to continually bring mindfulness and bring an interest, a curiosity, and a sense of exploration to your experiences and your achievements on the path to make sure that there's no delusion, that there's no ignorance, no harm. This is heedfulness. Heedfulness is this energy that we bring to our experience that keeps us in integrity with the Eightfold Path. I know that's a lot, but we'll, I'll unpack this a little bit. What it means practi practically to be heedful, one of the things it means is that we never take our experiences on the path for granted, right? And this means we don't take the pleasures of the path for granted. And when we experience various types of dukkha on the path, we don't take those for granted either. We don't take any of our experiences on the path for granted. And this is the way we tend to take them for granted. When we experience happiness on the path, sometimes we're like, sweet, this is a great meditation, or the Dharma's going great. I'm just going to kind of back off and enjoy it and not look at it as not self or not explore it any deeper than I have to. That would be complacency. Heedfulness is when we experience something on the path and we're like, huh, okay, that's happening. Let me take a look at that. Let me really look at it. Let me engage it. Let me be active. 
Heedfulness takes mindfulness and really makes it engaged with our experience, right? It's a commitment to continue to practice moment to moment, no matter what the experience. And I'll unpack that a little bit later, but that's the main thing is that heedfulness is this commitment to keep practicing no matter what we're experiencing. We don't rest on our laurels, so to speak, right? That would be a more practical way of saying complacent, like, eh, I'm just kind of doing this casually. It's an energized commitment to practice. A couple weeks ago when we talked about the commitment to be observant, we talked about how the Buddha said when we're observant, we always have to remember to observe two things about happiness and suffering. On the path, when we experience happiness, we want to enjoy the happiness, but we want to have a little bit of a critical mind towards it and ask ourselves, is it ultimate happiness? Is it happiness of enlightenment? Or is it just happiness of the jhanas? Is it happiness of freedom? Or is it just a pleasurable meditation? So we don't take pleasure on the path for granted. We're heedful. When we have pleasurable experiences, we enjoy them, we take note of them, but then we further engage with them to make sure we can use pleasure as a doorway to the higher pleasure of awakening. Similarly, with suffering, the Buddha says that as we deepen our practice on the path, our sense of suffering can be more and more subtle. And oftentimes, once we free ourselves from a sense of a large suffering, then sometimes we kind of get complacent and we're like, wow, yeah, the practice is going well. I don't want to turn over any more rocks. I don't want to, I don't want to dig deeper into my practice and find any more subtle suffering. I'm just going to accept where I am and kind of chill there for a while, right? And we all do this. I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big, uh, I do this all the time. So this is what I mean by not taking for granted our experiences on the path. Whether it's happiness that's arising or a new form of suffering that's arising, we always remain heedful. We always take our experiences and make a commitment to make those experiences doorways for liberation. And so that's what we really mean between heedfulness and complacency. One is highly engaged and there's an ardency, of course, an alertness, a mindfulness, and an interest to have the experience be something full. We don't want to sort of cut the experience short and parachute out. We want to go fully into the experience that we're having in the Dharma and not take anything for granted. So that's heedfulness. And let me give you some examples of how this works to give you kind of a deeper understanding and a clearer practical explanation of how heedfulness works on the path. When we look at the Buddha's journey, we remember that the Buddha was bound to the palace by his dad in a state of purposeful ignorance. His dad did not want him to be a spiritual leader. He wanted him to be a king. So he thought if he kept him locked in the palace and surrounded himself with luxury and sense pleasures, then the Buddha would never see suffering. He wouldn't have any stress and he wouldn't be curious to engage the world because his dad knew that as soon as the Buddha started engaging the world, and being curious and interested, and God forbid, interested in the truth, then game over, right? It, he would know suffering, and then he would know stress and discontent, and then he would want to find a way out, and then that was the prophecy of him becoming a great spiritual leader. So in this psychological tale, at least, the Buddha is bound to the castle in a state of ignorance. His dad doesn't want the Buddha to be inquisitive. He wants him to be complacent. 
So what's interesting is that the Buddha's journey begins in complacency. He's been forced into this space where he's surrounded by pleasures and invited not to critically think about them. He's not encouraged to ask if they're ultimate happiness. He's not considered to inquire into his status. He's just invited to indulge in sensuality. So the Buddha begins his journey in a state of being complacent. He's self-satisfied and he's not being critical of the dangers of the pleasures or the indulgent that he's taking part in. And so that's where the path actually begins with a sense of complacency. Now, of course, in the Buddha's story, it's imposed from without. But the metaphor is that the human mind tends to rest there. The human mind tends to really enjoy sense pleasures. And oftentimes when it's surrounded by sense pleasures or has lots of access to them, there's not really a huge incentive for the mind to ask itself, is this ultimate happiness? It doesn't, it doesn't want to ask that question. It just wants to indulge. And that is where the Buddha starts his journey. It is the Buddha's first step outside the castle that dispels the spell of complacency, right? The Buddha starts to get curious about what's going on. He starts feeling a sense of dissatisfaction with the luxuries of sense pleasures. And he begins to ask himself, is there something more? That energy, that shift, that's heedfulness. That's what the Buddha defines as heedfulness. That movement from being self-satisfied and uninterested in knowing the deeper experiences of the world to being curious about what's outside, what is deeper, what is the truth of what I am and the world around me, and the truth of stress and suffering and discontent. So the Buddha moves his path from complacency to heedfulness. And heedfulness, he says, is what gets him out of the gate. It's, it's what gets him onto the path, is this energy of heedfulness. When the Buddha goes out of the castle, of course, he sees his four sights, birth, aging, illness, and death. And he is compelled, of course, to follow the mendicant, and he ends up creating his path. When the Buddha sees the four sights, we were talking a few weeks ago about Samwega and Pasada, that energy of seeing suffering and responding with a desire to be free. Heedfulness is also an example of that, because when the Buddha sees the stress and sees the discontent, he ends up being heedful rather than pushing everything away. Rather than moving into denial, he probes deeper. So he sees the person who's sick and he doesn't turn away. He's heedful. He then pushes forward and says, no, I want to continue my journey. And then he sees the person who's aging, who's dying, a corpse. His whole process of getting onto the path is generating a sense of curiosity and authentic interest on what the truth is. He doesn't stay at any step of the insight. He just keeps going deeper. And so when the Buddha talks about heedfulness, it's an energy and desire to keep moving on the path to the final goal of liberation. Heedfulness is what lights the fire under our feet and encourages us to not just be satisfied with a little bit of equanimity or a little bit of joy. Heedfulness looks at those, doesn't take them for granted, and asks, but am I liberated? Can I go further, right? Can I develop more compassion? Can I develop more open-heartedness? Heedfulness is what allowed the Buddha to not give up. The Buddha says that heedfulness is what allowed him to turn away from the ascetic practices that were harming himself. When he did the ascetic practices, they weren't working. And he says that heedfulness allowed him to keep going, to think, 
maybe this isn't working. Let me try something else, even though I've been doing this for seven years. So like after seven years, the Buddha's like, this isn't working. He says that at that point, even though he's skin and bones, heedfulness, right? This inability to let himself be complacent is what pushes him forward to finding the Eightfold Path. So these are the, the energies of heedfulness. It's a motivating energy that encourages us to keep going, keep being curious, keep being interested in our practice in the same way that the Buddha was when he was discovering and creating the path in the first place. When the Buddha leaves the castle, has the four sights, and invokes this element of heedfulness, a few things are actually happening here. And these are sort of side notes, but I think it's important to see the connection because heedfulness, like I said, is all over the Pali Suttas. We know the idea of heedfulness as a cousin of investigation. So when we talk about the enlightenment factor of investigation, the enlightenment factor of investigation is born out of heedfulness. Heedfulness has curiosity in it. That's where investigation comes from. So when heedfulness has a maturity, it kind of gives birth to this cousin of investigation. And similarly, when heedfulness comes online for the Buddha, heedfulness is the seed of ardency. You know how sometimes I'll say, be ardent, alert, and mindful. Most of you know that ardent, alert, and mindful are the first three instructions of Vipassana. Be mindful of an object, be alert, pay really close attention to what's happening, and be ardent. Ardent means do it well, want to be successful at what you're doing. Heedfulness is again a cousin of that. Heedfulness, you want to do it well, you want to succeed. Heedfulness is what drove the Buddha to keep practicing and keep practicing, even though he kept falling on his face and couldn't figure out what he was doing, right? That's the energy that we're talking about. When the Buddha was first practicing, as we know from the story, there were two gurus in the non-dual traditions that had told the Buddha that he had become enlightened. And in both cases, the Buddha said, these states of consciousness are very pleasurable, but it, there's still some dukkha in there. There's still some, I just don't think this is it. And so he declined to teach and continued his journey. He said that was heedfulness. It was heedfulness because he said, I could have been satisfied with just the incredible pleasures I was feeling in my practice. I could have been self-satisfied with the achievements I had made, but it wasn't the liberation I was seeking. So he kept practicing. He kept moving forward on the path. So he said his movement forward there was a form of heedfulness because he didn't rest. He was critical about what was happening. He asked himself, wow, I'm experiencing all these pleasures of altered states of consciousness, which Sometimes when we review those stories, we usually say that the states of consciousness that the Buddha was in were like the, the upper jhanas. Um, and so he's like, this is, not the, this is not the liberation I'm seeking. That's heedfulness. Really taking a look at the pleasure you experience and even then asking yourself, but is this the ultimate pleasure I'm seeking? Because with complacency, it's easy to fall back and just say, damn, this is really pleasurable. I think I'm just going to camp here. I mean, there's why go forward? I mean, this is pretty damn good. Like, I don't need to go all the way up the mountain. I mean, I've got a nice view. The weather's good. I'm just going to sit here and kind of enjoy what I've achieved through my practice. The Buddha says, no, always be heedful. Always be heedful. We'll give you 
couple other frameworks here for heedfulness. One thing to know is that heedfulness is always considered to be the foundation of any skillful action on the path. So when we talk about skillful effort, anytime we're considering, uh, we are considering, uh, let me try that again. <laughs> Every time we are considering what the skillful action is of the moment, that's considered heedfulness. And heedfulness is considered the seed of right effort. Heedfulness is that interest to do it well and to keep moving on the path. And we do that by asking ourselves in this moment, what is skillful? And so heedfulness always, always, always is the energy behind wise effort. Now, as we know, when we put effort into the path, one of the first things that happens is we're met with the hindrances. So we're like, sweet, I'm going to get on the path. Liberation sounds awesome. And we start practicing. And instead of liberation, we get the hindrances. Like this is just kind of how, how the mind works. So I want to talk about heedfulness and the hindrances for a moment, because there's an important connection here. So we always need to remember that the Eightfold Path is a path of cultivating new habits, new skills, new heart qualities. And the mind, as we know, doesn't really want to do that. The mind's pretty complacent. It's like happy with where it's at. It doesn't want to change its habits. And when we invite it to change its habits, oh my God, is there a war? So the mind would rather go to war with itself than change its mind. Than change its mind. It would just so much easier to do that, right? So we have to remember that Awakening is an awakening to new ways of being, new ways of showing up, which means we're going to have to change our minds, right? And the mind doesn't like that. So the mind wants to hang out in sensual pleasures. It wants to be distracted. So the first thing that happens as soon as we're heedful is the mind fights back with the hindrances, right? The mind fights back. And so the mind rebels by throwing up the hindrances. So from the perspective of heedfulness, the hindrances are the voices of complacency. The hindrances are calling you back to the old habits. You're being heedful and you want to move forward into awakening and the hindrances are like, hell no. Why don't you just stay here? It's wonderful here. It's like, why would you want to go to awakening when you can just hang out and hold a grudge? or worry about some stuff, right? Or fantasize about the future. Like there's no need to move forward. You can just be here. So the hindrances are the voice of that complacency. The opposite is heedfulness. Heedfulness is the energy that learns to manage and navigate the hindrances while they're trying to pull you in the opposite direction. So it's the hindrances that are the embodiment of the old habits, right? The hindrances are the mind locked in the castle, right? That's the qualities of the heart and mind before the journey. So as soon as we try to make that journey, they pop up and they're like, no, we're not going to go with you. We're going to stay here. So it's the hindrances that lure us back into doubt. It's the hindrances that entice us into fantasy. And it's the hindrances that trick us into saying, oh, we've gone far enough. Just just be here. You don't need to continue, right? The hindrances are a trick of the mind. And the hindrances work when they can convince us to go with them wherever they're wandering off to, anywhere that's the present moment awareness, right? The, the hindrances have an agenda have an agenda. They are not our friends, right? They're hindrances. So they're hindering the experience of the present moment. Now, granted, if we don't befriend them, they won't go away. But 
we don't go to war. They want us to go to war. But heedfulness is what we bring to the hindrances because they are the energy of complacency. They're pulling us back to the castle. Heedfulness pulls us towards enlightenment. Whenever I talk about habits, I always like to throw this in. You've heard this before, but I'll say it because in this context, I think it's important. There's this old story that we all know about meditators, and it's that meditators often give up when the practice is going well. Meditators often give up when the practice is going well. And part of that is because as mindfulness increases, the dukkha underneath that we've been repressing and hiding from starts to arise. And we're like, whoa, yeah, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that. That's why sometimes mindfulness feels like it's making reality worse when all it's really doing is bringing us closer to the truth of what is already so or what, or what we're actually pushing away. So the more the mind clings, right? The more it clings, the more it tries to hang out with the hindrances, the more we feel a pull against the heedfulness, which is why heedfulness has to be cultivated because the hindrances kind of wear it down, right? This is why heedfulness is the foundation of skillful effort because in order to invoke skillful effort, we have to like hit up against the hindrances. And so there's this idea in, I've talked about this in psychology that right before a habit transforms into the new habit, it fights back, right? It fights back really hard. And so what we experience in mindfulness is that the closer we get to an insight, the stronger the upheaval of the hindrances. And so as we're successful in meditation, we might notice the hindrances really erupting strongly. And in those moments, the Buddha says, that's when you have to, that's when you have to get heedfulness up. That's when you have to enliven heedfulness. So this is something that we do throughout our journey on the path. As we begin to be more mindful, as we begin to be more concentrated, we can expect the hindrances to pull in the opposite direction. And so we need to remind ourselves that the counterbalance is this heedful energy. Two places you see this a lot, and we know we may not think of it in these terms. So anyone who's ever tried to lose weight or change a major habit, do you ever notice how you can do it for a few weeks and you're like, oh man, I've got this, this habit, I'm changed, right? You know, two, three weeks in, you've got it solid. Then all of a sudden there's this huge backlash and you're on the couch eating ice cream again. That is the pushback of the mind, right? That's the hindrances pushing back and trying to keep the old habit in place. And what is the antidote? Heedfulness, not giving up. That's where we tend to give up at that point where the hindrances are really giving you a run for your money. So that war back and forth between complacency and heedfulness is the managing of the hindrances. That's what we're doing when we're trying to manage the hindrances. We're trying to change the habit. And in that moment when we are most tempted to, I don't know, engage in unskillful speech or grab the cookie or whatever it is we're trying to transcend, that's the moment where heedfulness needs to come online the most. And that's part of skillful means. In this moment, what is the most skillful thing I can do that will lead to my long-term happiness and well-being? That's how that works. So that's just another way of looking at it. One other framework. Heedfulness and liberation. This is also talked about quite frequently. Heedfulness means that we never give up. Heedfulness means that we have this idea that there is a 
goal and we are walking towards it and we're really committed to being free from suffering. We're really committed to our practice and we want to have that sense of freedom from suffering. We want to have a sense of joy. We want to be more compassionate. We really want this. That's the ardency. I really want to do this well. I really want to have the benefits of my practice. Heedfulness pushes us towards the goal, which means we can never be satisfied with our experiences on the path. This is where the Dharma definition of heedfulness really is rubber meets the road. There are two tremendous tricks of the mind for every meditator. If we're seeing the path metaphorically as a path up a mountain, the first mistake is false peaks, thinking that some incredible experience we have on the path is the end goal. Peak experiences, false peaks. That's one trick of the mind. The second trick of the mind is convincing ourselves, and this is the hindrances that do this, convincing ourselves we've gone far enough. Oh, you know, I've been doing this for a few years. Feels pretty good. I'm just going to chill here. I'm going to chill out here. I don't need to go all the way up the mountain. I'm just going to hang in this clearing over here, this overlook. Two big tricks of the mind on the path is that we have an experience. It's really pleasurable or... Um, some of our childhood baggage gives way and, oh man, I just feel so much better from meditation. And then we take our foot off the gas. We kind of just fall back into complacency, right? So sometimes we have the complacency that's driven by, I've made it. This must be enlightenment. And then we just completely back off the gas and then we slide back down the hill. And that's one thing that we do as meditators. And again, this is easy to do because the mind likes to trick itself, right? We have this gravitational pull towards the old habits. So these tricks are totally skillful for the mind to do it if it wants to keep us from going all the way to the top. When we have tastes of happiness on the path, the Buddha invites us to look at our tastes of happiness and ask, is this self, is there suffering, is this permanent? That's heedfulness. And by doing that, we move through the ecstasy, the pleasure, the pleasure of equanimity, the joy that comes from tranquility, and we keep moving, right? The path is a path of motion, and we don't want to get stuck or plateau by not being heedful. So we, as Achan Cha said, we take suffering and pleasure on the path to be equals. We treat them equally. When we have pleasure, we go beyond it. When we have suffering and the suffering releases, we look under it and ask ourselves, is there any more suffering? We treat pleasure and pain as opportunities for awakening, and we continue to do that no matter how subtle the experience becomes. Because as we move up the mountain, the experiences become more and more subtle. Happiness becomes more pleasurable and harder to let go of, and suffering becomes less noticeable because we're really developing in practice. And so most students, as they move into higher experiences on the path, stop looking for the suffering. That's the trick of complacency. We stop looking for the more subtle eye-making, my-making, conceit, clinging, right? We tend to not go deeper underneath the superficiality, and then we start sliding back, <laughs> sliding back down. So I always like to say, it's a journey up the mountain. You can camp at various overlooks and enjoy the pleasures of jhana and enjoy the pleasures of equanimity. You just don't want to live there, right? You want to keep moving. You want to enjoy the pleasures of the path, but you don't want to 
build a city on the side of the mountain. You want to get all the way to the top and then you can rest. And heedfulness is this commitment not to rest until you get to the top. That's really what heedfulness is, is that commitment to keep going, to keep transcending, no matter what the experience, positive or negative. It's the commitment to keep asking myself, am I there? I'm not? Great, keep moving. I always like, I always like when I think it was Achan Jeff who says it's totally fine if you want to take a hit of jhana. You can you can take a hit of jhana if you want, but just don't stay there too long. You want to like have the experience because liberation is actually the goal. Liberation is actually the goal. So that's what we're talking about in heedfulness and liberation. Heedfulness is just never giving up. Never, we're not going to stay anywhere on the path. We're just going to keep going no matter what the experience. Practically speaking, heedfulness can be something simple. Heedfulness is coming to meditation throughout the week, right? Coming here. We're all heedful. We're coming here regularly, right? That's heedfulness. Heedfulness can be regularly going on meditation retreats. Heedfulness can mean trying to keep our precepts. All those are aspects of heedfulness. Not being, not going to war with the wandering mind. Heedfulness, right? Looking to see the hindrances and saying, I see you, Mara. Not going to go there. And we just keep, we keep walking. We don't let doubt get us down. That is heedfulness. I got to say, this <laughs> COVID really taught me about doubt. I got to say that the whole COVID thing all around and all of its manifestations, I had more doubt about the Dharma in the last three years than I've had in the 27 years prior to being a meditator. I really had moments of feeling so alienated and so depressed and so exhausted that getting to the cushion just felt complacency was just easier. I was like, I'm just going to sit here and watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> I'm not going to go meditate. And this is, and then heedfulness kicks in. It's like, ah, no, don't, don't camp here. You got to keep going. So heedfulness is that energy that helps us from those moments where we really feel doubtful and we really feel down. It's happening all the time in our practice. We probably just don't label it, label it as such. The one thing I think is the most important take home about heedfulness is that oftentimes we forget, and I think this is probably a disservice that we've kind of done as teachers in the West, is that we downplay the significance of enlightenment. And the Buddha was really clear that enlightenment is such a gift to you and everyone you have contact with, right? Because the road up the mountain to awakening opens our heart makes us kinder, gentler, more wise. And that means everyone we touch in our lives as we're evolving towards awakening is benefiting from us showing up, right? Further and further on the path. And so sometimes we forget that heedfulness, oh my gosh, heedfulness allows us to show up in alignment with this highest purpose of awakening. It allows us to show up loving and kind and generous and that heals us and it enlivens everyone that we touch so being heedful is a gift i think to ourselves and to others it's a gift to our friends it's a gift to our spiritual community it's a gift to our children right being heedful in the dharma allows you to go hang out with your kids and be more patient <laughs> more equanimous right more joyful with them more connected you know so when you're thinking of heedfulness, I would invite you to consider 
heedfulness is really what allows us to be successful in the Dharma. And that being successful in the Dharma is okay because it makes us kinder, compassionate, and more illuminated beings. And every one we touch along the road to that is benefit, beneficiary of this. So that is my Dharma talk for this evening. I will get off my, my uh, soapbox about heedfulness. Vote for heedfulness in 2022 in November. <laughs> it will set you free. <laughs> it's such a good heart-mind quality, the heedfulness. I want to read you a quote to end tonight. I just remembered that I had looked these up earlier. I just want to read these this, this quote here from the Buddha. Attributed to the Buddha, I must say. So the first one is his description of complacency. This is one of his descriptions of how his heart and mind was before his journey. And he says, Monks, I lived in refinement, utmost refinement, total refinement. My father even had lotus ponds made in our palace, where red lotuses bloomed, where white lotuses bloomed, one where blue lotuses bloomed, all for my sake. I used no sandalwood that was not from Varanasi. My turban was from Varanasi, as were my tunic, my lower garments, and my outer cloak. A white sunshade was held over me day and night to protect me from the cold, the heat, the dust, the dirt, and the dew. That's the complacency. And then the Buddha says this, and this one's pretty intense. This is how, this is considered the passage, which is the birth of heedfulness. Monks, I have known two dhammas through experience. Discontent with regard to skillful dhammas, meaning not being satisfied with pleasures of the path, and unrelenting exertion. Relentlessly I exerted myself, thinking to myself, gladly would I let the flesh and blood in my body dry up, leaving just the skin, tendons, and bone. But if I have not attained what can be reached through human firmness, human persistence, human striving, there will be no relaxing of my persistence. From this commitment, heedfulness of mind was attained awakening. From this heedfulness was attained the unexcelled freedom from bondage. So the Buddha had something to say about heedfulness. Thanks for your kind attention, folks. Your heedfulness inspires me, and I'm happy to be a part of your journey. Thank you so much for joining us. For those who have to head out, thank you so much for your presence. For those who'd like to stay for three or four minutes, we can end with some loving kindness. Take a few long, slow, deep breaths in through the nose and out through the mouth, relaxing fully into the body on the exhale. Bring some awareness to this entire body in this moment, noticing how you really feel. 
How do you feel and how do you know it? Let us rest in the truth of that experience. And with this awareness of this breathing body, With this energy of mindfulness, this intention to be ardent, alert, and aware, let us open our hearts to wish well for all beings. Let us wish that all the benefits of this practice this evening will allow us to show up as kinder gentle, more loving beings, and that everyone we meet will be the beneficiary of our awakening. And let's conclude this evening by asking ourselves this question. If I could wish anything for all beings and know that wish would come to pass, what would I wish for? Bring that wish to the altar of your hearts with each breath. May all beings share in the merits of our practice. May we all be free from suffering in this lifetime. Be well, my friends. You may unmute and wish well to all these beautiful beings as you see fit. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.